Amen. Lord Jesus, would you open our hearts to your word this morning? May it be abundantly clear what you've called us to, what you've saved us for. May the gospel be clear so that we might be the people you've called us to be and you're working to make us be. And we thank you one day, someday, that heaven will be a community of love and the battle will be over. Give us strength in the meantime, Lord Jesus. Open our hearts and minds now, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we consider this text this morning, I want you to watch this short video. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Religion doesn't save. In fact, religion doesn't not just get us to heaven, but it poorly represents God. It is a bad marketing ad. And yet Christianity is radically different. Because Christianity enfolds the sinner into the love of God with significant, tangible forgiveness because it's based on the finished work of The Son of God who became flesh and lived among us under the law to redeem those under law that we might be free to be sons and daughters of the King through His finished work. We are literally enfolded in His love from the point of faith forward. A love that we will experience perfectly in glory, but we are enfolded in His love that we might be so full of it that we overflow to those around us. You see, gospel love, God love, is meant for us to be filled up with so that others might be blessed, not just us. What a beautiful picture this is of the gospel. And how much more powerful is this picture than the message that is parading around as something that is like love, and yet it's not like this kind of love at all. The message of coexist, the message of tolerance, the the message of live and let live preserves a life centered on you and an ethic of morality that says, do what makes you happy to hell with your neighbor. But Christian love comes in and it says, be about God and your neighbor because God is about you. This is why the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter, the most comprehensive teaching on love is found in the book of Corinthians. You see, it's kind of crazy because Corinth is living with this whole mentality of coexist and tolerance and live and let live. They are redefining marriage. They have redefined marriage, divorce, and remarriage to make it fit whatever one desires in that moment. They've redefined 
sex and the use of it to be acceptable really any way and with anyone. Paul writes to them and says, guys, you're doing stuff the pagans aren't even doing. <laughs> You've got a guy in your, in your church that is sleeping with his father's wife. That's jacked up and you don't even know it. He says, guys, you've redefined how to do church. You're using the Lord's table as a, as a gluttonous feast. You're coming to church to eat too much and drink too much. And yet what does he do? He gives them the gospel, then he gives them the law, then he gets to chapter 13, and he says, guys, here's the motivation, and it is love. The radical love of God can change you so that you might be overflowing with the reality of me, God, so that you might overflow to the world. Friends, the law does not have the power to change you. The love of God does. We see this in Romans. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Paul does the same thing. Owe no one anything except to love one each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. God love. Getting so full of God that you don't use your neighbor as a sex object. That you don't have to be married to someone else because of how unrealistic it would be to stay married to the one you're with. Because you already have love. You're not depending on them to give you the kind of love that only God can give and therefore you can live with anybody and love anybody. You see, love is, drives a biblical ethic. Love makes us good <laughs> for the right reason. Well, let's look at it. The first thing I want to see as we kind of hold up love over the message of today, which, which masquerades as love, coexist and tolerance, is that love, not coexisting or tolerance, is the truly radical message. Jefferson Bethke is the young man that did that video. Um... And he wrote a book after he did that video. He was really shocked at how popular that video became. But he wrote a book called Jesus and Religion. Why he, meaning Jesus, is so much better than trying harder, doing more, and doing good enough. And in it, he writes about the day in high school when his mother walked into his room and told him she was gay. She admitted that the woman that had been living with them was not just her friend, as she, as she had told him originally, but she was her lover. And that drew a huge wedge between um, Jefferson and his mom until he became a Christian. He writes about an incident after becoming a Christian, and listen to what he had to say. 
I was having lunch with my mom in a cheap hole-in-the-wall restaurant, which always served amazing food. As we started to eat, I felt the tension. I was a Christian now, and my mom was openly gay. Wasn't I supposed to hate her? I love that. Wasn't I told not to associate with her? That's a direct reference to 1 Corinthians uh, 5. Doesn't she know homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God? Instead, I made a decision to listen. She was my mom. I listened as she poured out her thoughts, emotions, and feelings that had been pent up for years. I heard how she had been burned by certain religious communities, brutal stories of so-called Christians offering grace and redemption to all those around her as long as the sin was socially acceptable. The sad part is, I couldn't disagree. I'd seen the same thing myself. Paul, in writing to the church in Corinth, a church that is out of control sexually, out of control in many ways, he tells us how to navigate the waters of how to live in a community and how to live in a world that is not Christian when you are. And if you're here and you became a Christian and the rest of your family were not believers... Or you became a Christian and you know, went to school and it was a non-Christian school, you know, because we know everybody at Christian schools are Christians and didn't have to struggle with this. Um, but, you know, that was tongue-in-cheek, by the way. Um, Paul says this is how to navigate the waters. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 5. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. As I've said before, that's typically where we stop. All right, sexually immoral, whoop, can't hang around you. Not at all what he says here. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world, which is exactly what we've done. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such as one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Then he writes this, Purge the evil person from among you. Church, we have done just the opposite. We have, tolerated, uh, we, we have tolerated those in our body that sin, that call themselves Christians, and yet redefine God's moralities and really what the Scriptures say. But we have stiff-armed the world and said, nope, can't hang out with y'all. And what Paul is saying is, don't expect an unbeliever to act like a believer, but do expect a believer to act like a believer. In other words, expel the one in your midst, not just who sins, or this place would be empty. You would certainly have nobody up here, I can assure you that. But expel the one who sins and says, this is right. Who is unwilling to admit that what they're doing is sinful and unwilling to repent, and they go long and hard into their sin, and they do it publicly. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, however, is showing us how we are to love those in the body and outside of the body. 
And it's beautiful what he does. Listen, he literally defines how. He defines how we are to love, what that love is to look like. The nature of our love. Look at verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. That's huge. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Here's the problem with the message of coexist and tolerance. The message of coexist and tolerance is, is not willing to stand up and say anything's wrong because it's so self-serving. However, it masquerades as being a philosophy or an ideology that is utterly inclusive, but it's utterly exclusive. Because what it says is, we're willing to coexist and tolerate anybody that believes it with us, like what, or believes us, that believes the same thing we do. There we go. But if you don't believe, then oh, you're not tolerant. You're not willing to coexist, so we can't be around you. But Christian love, gospel love, is just the opposite. Paul says it doesn't rejoice with wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. So what it's saying is, is it, it, it stays in relationship. It is openly honest. It says, I believe what you're doing is wrong, but I love you. And you can't get rid of me. Listen to this last phrase, believes all things. Or love bears all things. Believes all things. What does that mean, believes all things? It's believing the gospel for someone who doesn't believe it. It's saying, I'm not going to give up on you because I want you to be ushered into the love of God because I know it's the only thing that's going to give you the love that you're looking for. So I'm going to believe it for you. I'm going to hope for it, hopes all things. I'm going to endure and persevere on for it for you. Isn't that beautiful? Christian love, God love, is more powerful. It's the Romans kind of love that says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now here's the motto of coexist and tolerance. Live and let live. Do anything that makes you happy. And here's the motto of Christianity. If God can love me, I can love you. Somebody make the (laughs) t-shirt. If we just simply live by that reality, which is the gospel, if God can love me, a man that is so messed up and inconsistent, and if God can love me, how in the world can I not love you? You see, that's the gospel. So this is what Paul is saying when he opens up and he says, I I, I determined to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and Him crucified. What, is, what, is the, what do these tables mean to us? What that tells us is that's what the Son of God had to do in order to persevere in love for us. He had to give His own life because our sin is that wretched. And yet, this is what He was willing to do because He loves you and me so much. So it's not just that we can love our enemy, which is gospel kind of love, Matthew 5 kind of love, love your enemy and those who spitefully use you. It's not just that, okay, we have kind of the convenience, okay, we can love our enemy, 
It said, if you understand these tables, if you understand the crucified Christ, Christ died for you, then you must love your enemy. The gospel is is propulsion. When you are believing the fullness of your sin and the fullness of His grace, then you must bear with those around you. You must love your neighbor. You have no other choice. There is no other fruit. And therefore, if you're not loving your neighbor, it's not, because, it's not that you need to go to the Ten Commandments and memorize them. It's that you need to go to the cross and get the message. Jefferson writes this. He said, if I can be honest, I've gone back and forth a ton on this issue of homosexuality. Is it okay? Is it wrong? Why or why not? And is this something I want to get... and, And this is something I want to get across. Everything in me wanted to be convinced it was okay. Everything in me looked for verses to see it sanctioned by God. But through the years of wrestling, hours of Bible study, and tons of prayer, I didn't come to, see, come to that conclusion. When I open the Scriptures, I see homosexuality, now note this, getting no more prominence among sins. In other words, it's not isolated as the unforgivable sin. But it's still, like every other sin, a distortion of God's created order nonetheless. But here's the thing. My mom and I disagree on it, and we still love each other. Did you catch that? We still love each other. We have open, honest, and sometimes very difficult conversations about it. And yet neither of us walks away calling the other a bigot. Neither of us walks away furious or upset. Because that's what love is. It stays. It pursues. It pushes in. And why has God called us to this? Because number two, love is a superior power. I'll never forget in our first church, Isla Branch, Mississippi, our, our piano player, um, who's a long, who was in my first youth group, um, called Rachel and I. It was the week before Thanksgiving. I'll never forget it. And she said, can I meet with you guys? I said, sure. She came to the house and she's single and she admitted that, or told us that she was pregnant. And she confessed it as sin. She said that that was my first sexual encounter and I blew it. And the guy didn't even want to talk to me, wouldn't even answer my phone calls. She was repentant, knew she sinned. We embraced her. The next Sunday night, we were at church. And at that church, every the Sunday night before Thanksgiving, we would always do... A, um, a, a testimony service. We would have a dinner and then let people just take the mic and tell them, you know, just announce what they're thankful for. Well, in the middle of that, one of my favorite services, I get this, this little note from her passed to me saying, hey, can I tell the church my situation? And I thought, okay, let's do this. I said, yes. Well, she stands up and she's in tears and She uh, tells the congregation that she's pregnant. I had no idea how that congregation was going to respond. And yet, one person stood up and went toward her and enfolded her. And then a line. And then a circle. (laughs) And as I sat there, my heart was rejoicing. Because what I was watching was literally the body of Christ. Hear me. Follow me. You see, 
she had the, the strength to believe the gospel. Okay, I know God forgives me. But she didn't have the strength to hug herself and know those were the arms of Christ. That's why God has His body here. And as God's people were enfolding her, as she was melting in tears, what was happening is she was being remade. She was being restored. The guilt and the shame was leaving because the arms of Christ were enfolding her in the very love of God in a tangible, literal way. It was sacramental. Dear friends, when we withhold love from our neighbor, we're withholding God. Do you hear me? That's why to be nice to your neighbor is to be Jesus to them. You're not just being Jesus when you give the gospel. Look at how many times Jesus just loved people and never gave them a a three-point plan of how to become saved. He just fed them. He was God to them. And He says, church, you are to be God to the world. Now, how do I know and and why do I take so much out of that experience with our piano player at that church? Because when Rachel and I announced she was pregnant when we were 18 years old and not married to our church, we got just the opposite. We got silence. You see, we were in a community that didn't talk about sin. We, We were in a community where you just don't sin. I mean, we're wealthy people. We're educated people. We don't sin. And when we do, we take care of the problem. And so we we had years, we didn't know what was going on. We had individuals loving on us, hear me. But the church and the leadership didn't know what to do with sinners. And therefore, it took us years to deal with the shame and deal with the isolation that we felt. And the wounds are there that only heaven will ultimately heal. Friends, the world is dying to know that God does love them and that there's hope for them. Jefferson said this. He said, My generation is the most fatherless and insecure generation that's ever lived. And we are willing to sacrifice everything if we can just be told that we are loved. If only we knew just how loved we really are. Friends, notice in Corinth, the family is in absolute shambles. And because the family is in absolute shambles, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. They're looking to sex. They're looking to work. They're looking to alcohol and food. They're looking to anything. They're saying, love me now. And it's not just looking for it. It is a demand. And so what we have to be is we have to go into the world and we have to say, here's the truth about your sin, but guess what? I'm just as big a sinner as you and God loves me because of Jesus. We have to tell them, here is the love of Christ for you. Would you come? And would you come in? That's what you're looking for. I know it because I've done it too. It's not going to give you the life that you're looking for, but the life that you're looking for is there. That's the kind of power that this fatherless, love-starved world needs. The only question is, will we get it? Give it. And then finally, and very shortly, the frightening demand of love is possible with Christ. As I've said, the cross is really worse than the law. The law says do, Jesus says done, 
But then we're left with, this is what gratitude looks like. And so, how do we respond? How do we love people that don't want to be loved? How do we go into this world and be the body of Christ? How do we enfold uh, the world into the church saying, Come, fellow sinner, repent and come to Christ because He's the life that you're looking for. Two tangible things. The first is this. Get full of God's love. Friends, you can't give what you don't have. Get full of God's love. Get so hungry for His love that you're an insatiable eater of the promises of God. That, that you are there studying His Word because you want to see his, the reality of, of His truth for you that you might even give it away to somebody else as it's fresh in your soul. Get the Word of God. Pray for God's love to be bold to you. Ephesians 3, I love it. This is my prayer for this church. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you can feel good about yourself and get to back to real life. No! Have this inner peace full of faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see why Paul is praying that for the church? He's not just praying, make them obedient. He's saying, fill them up with the love of God because then it's going to overflow to the world. Be around the gospel. That's what worship is all about. It's what reading your Bible is all about. It's what community group is all about. It's what this institute of learning is all about. It's not about the action. It's about going hungry, saying, feed me, that I might feed somebody else, that I might be some good to God and others. Get full of God's love. Secondly, direct your life in tangible ways toward those that need it, not just those you can easily give it to. I love what 1 Corinthians... I don't love it, (laughs) but I do love it. 1 Corinthians 7, 12-14. If any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Is that practical and tangible enough? If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. What in the world is Paul talking about there? He's saying exactly what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 13. Be Jesus to your unbelieving spouse from this point forward. Be Jesus. Let Jesus be Jesus to you, then you be Jesus to them. What does that look like for you? You say, I'm not married. My spouse is a believer. What does that look like for you? What Paul is saying here, the principle here is this. Bind yourself to someone that doesn't believe the gospel. And be Jesus to them. Who is that for you? Write it down. Write five people down. What does that look like to you? Has God been nudging on you to move to a different neighborhood and be Jesus to a people? 
Is God telling you to give your money and your life away? to? A, what does it look like for you? I don't know. Is it love your wife? Is it love your husband? Is it love your parent? What does it look like to you? Get uncomfortable and love somebody that you otherwise wouldn't love. Somebody that's going to demand everything from you and, and you get nothing from. Because that's what God does for you and me. So do it. Get full of His love. And we give Him nothing. And then go give it to somebody and direct your life in that direction. Brendan Manning said, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their mouths and walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. Dear friends, may we be the people of God and the body of Christ that professes Him with our mouths and then we go be Christ to the world around us. That Jesus might be glorified. As we come to the table this morning, get full of Jesus. If you've never believed in Christ before, this is what He offers you. Come to these tables and sup on me by faith. Say, I've never done that. Here's your opportunity. Come to Jesus. Don't bring anything to Him because you can't. It's just an absolute, utter offense to the grace of God. You come empty-handed saying, I've done every, uh, there's every reason for you not to love me, and yet you love me, so I'm here, and I believe. May we come to this tables in that manner that we might go out into this world and give it away. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gospel. There are many times where it's just too good to be true. And this is one of those times. <laughs> and yet, thank you, Lord Jesus, that it is. Empower us to go, Lord God. Empower us to be your body. Empower us to get over us that we might think about others and we might live in their direction. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.